Paradise people, welcome back to the podcast and our radio show here at Bo 89.1 FM. I am Bella Rooney, your host, and today we are joined by Robin Davies to talk about the past, the present, and the future of environmental education. Hey Robin, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks so much for inviting me here. No worries, thanks for coming. So Robin, you're the principal at Cayman Prep Primary School and you have been working in education for over 30 years. You completed your MBA in which you pursued the question, the most effective curriculum for the 21st century, which seems like a rather elaborate, <laughs> elaborate question. So after a couple of brief conversations with you uh, that I've met you on the beach a couple times, you've done work with Plastic Free Cayman, your passion for environmental education is so clear. So let's jump on into this. Let's start by getting to know you a bit better. How did you become an educator and was it something you were always interested in? I've been blessed with being involved in education, as you say, for 30 plus years. Uh, started in the, through the informal sector. I was an outdoor pursuits instructor in the early days after leaving school. I was fortunate enough to be staffing on expeditions around the world. I was an educational naturalist in Florida for a year. Ooh. That was so exciting. Uh, straight fresh from university out into the wilds of the Everglades. I was then an education ranger in the New Forest for three years on the south coast of England. Oh my gosh. And then I decided to just just really bite the bullet and become a teacher, got my uh, teacher training qualification, and the rest is sort of formal history in, in education. Teaching oh, cool. science, and then games and outdoor pursuits uh, as ever, and then working out through to leadership to my current position as uh, principal at primary. That's quite a history. That sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of fun, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun and adventure. So environmental education, what would you give as a definition of this? Uh, it's it's almost too broad <clears throat> to define. Uh, if you look over the history of it, I mean, if you actually look at the whole environmental movement from Rachel Carson when she wrote Silent Spring, that is always a get-go, and a lot of movements around the world generating the the realization that we've got to do something about this. We've got to stop the the what's classed as progress for the human race, but in actual fact, which is counterproductive to our, the world that we live in. In terms of the 80s, when I really sunk my teeth into it, then the 90s, uh, there's just been different brands of which could all be classed under environmental education. There's nature education. Uh, that's what I did really in the New Forest, where we take school groups from surrounding towns, cities, to go out into the wilds. New Forest is amazing. It's 120 square miles of pristine, ancient and owned, um, ornamental woodland and heathland. And yet the children from the towns and the cities really don't understand the, the, the raw nature of it. Mm. Uh, in, in truth, one time we got a busload from inner Southampton coming out and one of the children genuinely said, where are the lions? Where are the lions? Oh, gosh. Oh. And so we had to, you know, the challenge is to connect uh, our children with the, the real natural world that uh, unfortunately modern society is becoming increasingly disconnected from. Um, nature education is a very solid platform and, and an easy win because who doesn't like nature? <laughs> However, there, there's the truthful nature, the real nature, and there's the disnified uh, nature. You're and so that, right. That, that in itself is a challenge. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Then there's uh, there's been another brand of environmental, educa envir environmental education, uh, education for social 
responsibility. That came through in the sort of 2000s, uh, and that was quite a big, hard-hitting move, which assimilated environmental education as well as economics uh, and, and so on. And recently, there's more recently, I guess 2005, there was uh, the sustainable schools movement in the UK, uh, and that coincided with the United Nations 2005-2014 a decade of environmental right. education. Now all these things are fits and starts over the years but ultimately what it really comes down to is the children appreciating and understanding and having a sense of agency about the world that they belong to that they live in and that they have responsibility for their actions within it. And that's really just what it comes down to. Mm. That's the most important aspect of all of it. Right? And that's I guess why it's important so important. Uh, if we look at the 21st century and the challenges within the 21st century, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of um, ambition around the world in, in education to, to question what, what's our core purpose. Mm. And, it, and if our core purpose isn't just to get children the grades, if it isn't just to see them through to university on top of that, that's all important. It really is for their future success. But on top of that, we have to prepare the children for the challenges of the 21st century. Right. And that includes morality. Um, that includes, um, so, so they're, they're prepared and they're invested with the ability to make discerning judgments about the rights and wrongs of their life in the world. Then, of course, there's technology. It's, it's very interesting, just recent um, articles published talking about the, the biggest trends in education uh, and they are very much centered around AI and hybrid remote learning with the last couple of years that we've had is no surprise. But these are trends that are, are, are out there. And I, I just hope that the, the focus will come back in the not too distant future on a macro scale or environmental uh, on an international scale about the environmental responsibilities that we hold. So what has been your past experience with environmental programs? I know you've done a range of different things. <laughs> so how specifically environmental programs, I guess? Well, from, I, I would say that the, the, the years out in the wilds that I did before coming, uh, becoming a teacher in the classroom uh, were all about experiential learning and I immersion. So whether it was the outdoor pursuits where the children, the, the young teenagers are getting out into the, the woods and the wilds and they're camping, you know, in minimal mm -hmm. impact camping, they've got a blanket, they've got a tarpaulin, they've got, a, they've got some matches, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And they, they come out bigger people because yeah, they may have been cold or uncomfortable in the night, but you know what, A, they got through it, they were with friends, mm. and they come back uh, and get around the campfire in the morning, a little mm. bit cold, a little bit uh, disheveled, <laughs> but <laughs> they've enjoyed it, and they're, they're bigger people as a result of it. Right. And they, they embrace confidence in themselves as young people. So I think immersion is, is really important, and that's why nature education and uh, hands-on mm -hmm. experience with local natural surroundings is so pivotally important for our children. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that I would <clears throat> all, always want to see in a curriculum, in a, in a school, that the children are, have got a very comprehensive play-to-learn program. They're out and about engaging with water, sand, mm. mud, mm. gardens, uh, and to get those embedded in, in any school is, is pivotally important. And then, of course, there are trips and visits. Um, to extend their range of understanding through getting out of the uh, the right. school gates. Right. So you know, and you and I um, met 
with our year five going out mm-hmm. to Prospect Point, which I think was one of the highlights of this year. Uh, it's a new innovation. We are committed to getting character education embedded across the school primary and to get them out there. It's the, it's the first residential mm-hmm. in year five. Yeah. And, but then as well as the, uh, the, the challenges of, you know, living, cohabiting with their, their, their friends and so on. You know, and, and <laughs> they, they were restless over the night but, and so they're tired in the morning. But as well as the, the character development of that process experience, the program that you came along to, to give them on the, on the Friday morning where they actually went out onto the beach and they did a beach sort. They didn't just put it into the bins. The way you got them to look at the rubbish, to analyse the microplastics, that's profound. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, is where education really needs to be at its best. Mm-hmm. Profound experience, hands-on experience, rather than just reading it from a book, infers that the children will have a higher chance of creating agency, self-belief and drive and commitment and passion for a cause. Mm-hmm. And if they've got that, then the, 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 the word that uh, I'm really keen on following, phrenesis, which is capturing knowledge, turning it into wisdom, but then translating it into practical action. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that is where I think the core purpose of education is driving to if we're to make a run of it. You know, if, if we're to be good at what we say, mm-hmm. then our children will leave our duty of care educated. Yes, they'll mm-hmm. have knowledge, mm-hmm. but they'll also be active agents of, of the uh, and citizens. That's quite hard too, right? Because <laughs> that's a lot of organizing on teachers' parts, parents' parts. That's a lot of that's a lot that goes into it. And I mean, if we if we start talking about the education of the past in terms of this, so I took edu- um, environmental education as its own subject for the first time I ever took it was at UCCI when I was doing my associate's degree, and it actually changed my life in incredibly <laughs> profound ways. Right. It was it showed me complexities of environmental issues and all the lenses you had to look through to be able to make like a well thought out and informed opinion on issues and how you could do changes. And I just wish that I had learned some of these things a bit sooner. So is it unusual for early education systems to lack such a focus on this or has the past of environmental education always kind of been this way? I, I think there are really exciting steps. We talk about early education, the early years foundation stage, which is the curriculum for the UK, um, where the children uh, are up to the ages of five. Everything is about interaction right. uh, and engagement. Yeah. And so that's a very, very good starting block. Uh, I, th- what I was talking about earlier on with the agency and phrenesis, this really quite a, a strong ideal and a vision for the future, but it's very difficult to turn into a prescribed curriculum. Right. You can't say to a children, right, today, children, we're going to learn how to be agents of success. <laughs> yeah, today, children, we're going to learn about this or this, be- yeah. because it, it's something that comes to them through year on year, term on term, day by day, practice and relationships and culture within the school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's quite a, you know, we're talking macro ideals for our children. We, on a day-to-day basis, we have to deliver curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, the earliest foundation stage is, is really well orientated to that interaction with local surroundings and engaging collaborative learning with peers uh, and so on. When you get into the curriculums, and, and obviously primary we work with the UK curriculum, we then, you know, if you've got international baccalaureate pr- curriculums as well, you've got a variety of different curriculums around the world, they all have to 
adhere to a prescription of one form or another. Right. It's, and if those are seen as the building blocks, that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. That's great. But it's the cement. It's the culture of the school. It's the ethos and it's the aspirations of the school in sustainability and what the school wants the children to be getting out of it, which is, I think, the most important thing. So the, the school's culture is of equal importance to mm-hmm. the program of study that they're doing in English or maths or science and so on. And if the ch- staff are empowered and enabled mm-hmm. to just you know, mm-hmm. do a little bit of risk-taking, mm. not that they've got a lot of time because the curriculum's big. Mm-hmm. A, they've, they've got a limited time to cover everything. Uh, I would say I, I would happily celebrate a couple of things that we've done at primary with, with hand on heart. It's one of the highlights while well, the time that I've been yeah. there. And with thanks to our, our the whole staff team, uh, we've done a STEAM, mm-hmm. our, our STEAM innovations. We used to have a science week uh, in the school year, which was fantastic in its own right. We wanted to spread the joy, spread the love. Right, and STEAM stands for... Science, technology, engineering, art, and uh, mathematics. Right. And it was STEM, but they threw in art as well because... As they should. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's get the creativity in there as well. So we decided to break out a whole week of science and spread it throughout the the terms. And we have a one-day STEAM event each term, and it's a big bonanza. Uh, but but we, ha- we also wanted to be quite strategic with it and quite thoughtful about the approach. So we've got a two-year rota. And so two years, six terms, six themes. And we start the rota with the first year, the three terms, we have a steam day on food, steam day on water, steam day on shelter. Food, water, shelter. Very Maslowian. <laughs> yeah. very, very, you know, basic. Let's just get back to basics. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all the very active days. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there's there's a great amount of fun. One of the things we did was to actually analyze the school menus and the school sales from the catering company that we use. And that was really great because uh, and we, we got some of the children in the year five and six to scrutinize those and to look through the data. Oh, so my God. We, well, it is, yeah, we're, we're thinking high here. And we want them to actually become problem solvers and critical uh, analysts as well. Uh, with the water, there was my favorite thing was that the artwork that our kindergarten did was just based around the theme of every drop counts. And yeah. if you think about water on this island, A, we're surrounded by it. Mm-hmm. For the children to differentiate at kindergarten age, salt water, fresh water, mm-hmm. hang on, fresh water, drinking water, mm-hmm. one of the greatest, most valuable resources on earth. For them to get to thinking about that for years of five years old is, is again, profound. That's where we need to be driving it. I'm thinking about where I was at at five years old right now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it was yeah. there. <laughs> so, and, and then the year two, we go into the themes of uh, materials. So they have an understanding of, right, what is this stuff around us? And I think you were involved for the, the plastics. Plastic came in came spoke in, with them, yeah. uh, Which was just brilliant because they get to see, the, they understand what materials are, but they understand it on a, actually, this is an issue. Mm-hmm. We are so smart as a race mm-hmm. to create these new materials, but there's consequence. And consequence infers we've got to have an action. Mm-hmm. So, th- and, and your input and Plastic Free Cayman uh, input there um, was, was fantastic. The last one we did was communications and what a skill that is for children across. Yeah. You know, we all need to Massive. be able to communicate and articulate uh, what we do. And then the last one, which we're very excited about, next term is going to be energy. 
Oh, yes. big topic here. Big topic here. <laughs> but uh, and, and to that extent, uh, one of the, another highlight, so many highlights at primary, is that uh, we're blessed with a, a parents' teachers association who have funded an array of 34 panels on mm-hmm. one of our roofs. Mm-hmm. And that array of panels has, uh, the moment we can monitor it online, it's nearly 7,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide that it has mitigated, that it has stopped going into the atmosphere by generating energy electricity from the sun so cool so if the children get to see that they say oh then they develop a sense of oh, i can do mm-hmm. if i as i go up into adulthood say you know if i'm going to work in a place why haven't we got solar panels because we can stop carbon dioxide going up into the atmosphere mm-hmm. it's 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 um being active agents again practice what you preach absolutely yeah <laughs> and and so i think that's one of the biggest challenges uh, across schools across the world you know, schools have, are pressured with time, with money, with uh, allocations and so on. But we still have an obligation to be role models to our children. And yeah. so for us to model just, just a relatively small thing in the greater scheme of things, but such an important thing for energy mm-hmm. um, generation. And on an island where there's just endless... Amples uh, and amples of sun. There, there's no shortage of sun. And if we can do something about it, then the children say, right, I can do and I think that's important. So what are your thoughts on, I agree with you fully, by the way. I think <laughs> we totally have to be, we have to be the change we want to see, right? Mm-hmm. We can't expect it. It can't be all on them. They're the ones inheriting it, but we have to put in some some groundwork for them. They have to come up seeing us already st- laying the laying the, the groundwork. Yeah, you know, it's interesting it. you say that because mm. there, there is a sort of, uh, our children have got to be the changes for the future. Actually, no. No. We have the responsibility. 100%. And, if, and, and one of the, biggest features of a teacher, of an educator, of anyone with any sense of responsibility in a school is that we've got to model the right behaviors because if yeah. we don't, how can we possibly expect them to? How? Genuinely, I ask, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just not possible. <laughs> and you have to give them a break, you know, mm. you gotta, you gotta show them what you want from them. You gotta communicate with them. So, okay. Vertical learning. How does, I've heard so much about vertical learning. Does that play a role? I know that that's something that you have so for instance if you have a super busy term you have you have packed syllabus you have what what does what can vertical learning bring what is it a and then what could it bring to this these issues i think vertical learning to me is a part of the construct the whole construct of curricula uh, cross curricular learning cross curricular okay and i think that um when the let's just say the uk curriculum is obviously what i'm embedded in we have english we have maths science we have social studies modern foreign languages we have re we have psh Mm -hmm. we have these timetabled blocks they can all interact Mm. if you do them all in silo then you're wasting opportunities for Mm -hmm. interaction and reinforcement of learning Mm -hmm. and so cross-curricular opportunities whether it is uh, teaching science of sound Mm-hmm. through a music lesson and seeing vibrations on a violin string. You know, th- that's just one very precise example. You, you've got to get the subjects to talk to each other. On top of that, so if, if we go back to the core curriculum as that's what it is, those are the building blocks. The glue is where the blocks start talking to each other. And vertical learning, they, they do a very, very comprehensive program up at the high school of vertical learning where the children are enabled to do a whole range of things which they wouldn't do through the core curriculum. Yeah, because I didn't have that when I grew up. And I hear about some of the cool courses that they're doing. I'm like, imagine how you could apply that to environmental Mm. 
Absol- absolutely. So, so I think that there's a Protect Our Future mm-hmm. group uh, right. up at the high school. Um, I think it's something we've got a school council. It's about the additional layers, the extra layers that exist over and in between the building blocks of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so the clubs and activities that we do, I run a debate club. Uh, which is is quite a ethereal actually with some of our uh, really really uh, talented uh, orators in mm-hmm. year five and six we have some fantastic discussions and debates last term the the debate which we then performed in front of the the, the juniors school year three four and five was this house believes that cats are better than dogs oh now the, oh, it's <laughs> gloriously contentious oh yeah oh, absolutely <laughs> now just for absolute clarity the dogs did come they what they, well they, they came out better yeah but the fact is that the there were some children who actually decided to change their original ideal because of the way in which the the, the opposers and the proposers stood up in front and gave their argument and that's what it's about we're teaching children to have opinions yeah. to be able to be flexible in their opinions, yep. but also to articulate them with, with confidence uh, and be flexible in their opinions as well. So I, it, it's very exciting. This term, one of the, we've actually got two house topics that we want to go is, but the one that I think we may go is, this house believes that um, Disney is bad for chil- uh, primary school children's health. Okay, you know, I know a lot of people who would agree with that, and then <laughs> that's interesting. I think. I, what are they going to say? Oh, I want to watch that. <laughs> well, you're very welcome because they will be debating it, and we've got a team that are willing to oppose it, and they've done the research. Yeah. They've looked at their favorite films, and they said, "This is my favorite film." But okay, let's look at this. What message is it telling us? Yeah. Whether about environmental. Uh, understanding whether about characters whether about gender issues whether yeah. about you know there's a whole range of things because some, some of the the original disney films they were f- flawed in so many ways yeah. and yet recent disney disneyfication yeah. is making an attempt to be a little bit more uh, modern they and are. contemporary so it's for the children to explore for them to research for them to generate it so uh, again alongside the steam uh, issues which, which are quite cross-curricular because there is no curriculum for mm-hmm. food, water, shelter, energy, materials, unless it's woven into different mm-hmm. science or, or whatever. There's no curriculum as such. There's part of the English curriculum, speaking and listening, but that's not um, assessed right, right, uh, as no, rigorously no. as reading and writing. But it's an important part of our children's development, so we want to give them that skill base. You know, it's um, we have to make choices and empower the children sometimes these activities don't work <laughs> in truth and uh, as i said when we started talking about this I, i'd say that maybe i've got 30 years of experience but 30 years in environmental education of, of failure because <laughs> arguably the world isn't any better off environmentally but you know we're still going and we still are passionate and committed to it right so in a positive light what are we doing right what is the world doing right oh, right yeah. now in terms of this topic well, uh, what we're doing right is that we are increasingly aware mm-hmm. of the challenges and we are open to those. Where we are open to it, doors are open to our children because we say, as the teachers in the room, we say, okay, this is important. Let's engage. Let's create learning opportunities, mm-hmm. whether it's in the classroom, whether it's around the school, or whether it's through trips and visits to experiential learning. We're doing a lot of good practice there. Um, I think exemplifying modeling what we should be doing and practice in schools mm-hmm. solar mm-hmm. panels on the roof mm-hmm. right big big um, yes big cross-curricular uh, 
uh, events like the STEAM days, mm -hmm. where the children break out of and away from a book, uh, mm -hmm. a study result, and they, they live it and they learn it and they take on a change of opinion. So talk to me a little bit about this green, what is it, green school? You mentioned it a bit oh, earlier, because yes, this yeah. seems like one thing that we're definitely doing, yeah. well, at least Bali's doing, right? Yeah, well, it's so exciting. Uh, I'm very lucky when I did my MBA and trying to understand what would be the best curriculum for the 21st century, all of a sudden you've got a global platform. Right. And, and you just start to explore what different schools around the world are doing. And the green schools in Bali, uh, and there's a green school in New Zealand and in South Africa, and these are schools which really, truly, truly live it. And, mm. and they, they work in wonderfully uh, beautiful architectural designs, but they are centrally sustainable. You wow. Know, uh, you know, the, mm. the, um, the way in which they work, the way in which the studies, the children's, their activities, their learning, it is completely hands-on. They still do core mm -hmm. curriculum. They read, they write, they're, they're learning really comprehensive curriculum. But because of the way that the whole ethos of the green school, it's, it's a bit of a hint in the name. It is definitely. Is that the children come away highly empowered. There's also the United World College, uh, which has got sustainability and peace around the world as a central theme. It, it's its central tenet. And... I think that one of the where we, we're we're seeing successes of graduates from these schools going out into the working world and becoming leaders who with with strong passionate commitment to let's be the leaders of change within our whatever economic sector that is now that's where success comes through and I think that's where all the schools that are forging towards that must see that as a as a way ahead a nice beacon oh, yeah. to work towards yeah so exciting so <clears throat> so okay this is a <laughs> this is, i don't want this to be a controversial question but my question is do the changes in the way we prioritize these topics need to come from school level so like a principal level like an organizational level like the principals the teachers or do they need to come from an educational policy level and what we're asking and i guess this could be valid in the cayman islands but also all over the world um but i mean is it a, is it a higher Thing that we need to trickle down or what do you think I think let's let's learn lessons from uh, a, an area of development in education over the last couple of decades safeguarding mm -hmm. safeguarding has just been and continues to be enormous it, it's our raison d'etre we want children to grow up safely yeah but that, that that's what we're you know pivotal mm -hmm. before the curriculum are you safe are, mm -hmm. are you well is there well-being and in the last couple of decades around the world schools have realized that they do need to have administrative practices they do need to do checkbox exercises but above and beyond that if they haven't got a culture where it's at the very top in in the very um ethos and aims of the school centrally written into the mission statement then it's not really going to happen mm. and so and this is very this is a big learning curve because all the best schools that are have provide the strongest and the safest uh learning environments for the children that's because it's culturally there not as a box ticker mm -hmm. now i would say that environmental education can often so often and by experience i've seen it where you've got one person who's so pa passionate dedicated they are the environmental educator in the school no 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 no. let's enable them let's let them spread that very important mm -hmm. message for our children empower the children to learn but then there needs to be policy along the lines of curriculum, how it can weave throughout the curriculum with trips and visits and, and these, you know, um, steam days, and things like that. Then it needs to be generated as school culture. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, it needs to be generated at national 
level in terms of educational uh, department. Right. I mean, th this island with the, the evolution of the Ministry of Sustainability, you know, these are some very strong foundations. But I think the connectivity, rather than that ministry working in isolation and then the uh, Ministry of Education working in isolation, or put Weaver. them together, mm. get all the schools uh, working together, you've got such a powerhouse of opportunity. But it, it, then you've got to decide, okay, what framework do we work with? Do we work with the United Nations Sustainable Goals? Mm -hmm. Do we work with eco-schools? Mm -hmm. There are a number of frameworks out there to, mm -hmm. to hang your coat on, as it were. Mm -hmm just decisions need to be made this is where we're going this is how we're going to do it you work mm -hmm. that at top level yes it'll trickle down but mm -hmm. you also need to empower the individuals on on the ground i agree and and, and make that movement happen at the top mm. too by just communicating and, and, mm. and asking for it i guess so what do you think the future of environmental education is for cayman then and do you think we're moving towards the future fast enough to deploy these students with education that they will need to live a sustainable life are we moving fast enough <laughs> well, the answer is always going to be no, because the, the ideal is if we're all living sustainably, yeah. if we're all living in net zero houses yeah. you know, um, that are, aren't using a lot of uh, fossil fuels, yeah. then until at such times when we're not living sustainably. Right. But uh, you know, we, we know what the the expectations are in terms of energy generation on the island. Of course, that can move faster. Mm -hmm. um, but if we empower the children as they learn and again as i keep on going back to we we as the adults in the room the teachers and the educators and the policymakers, if we model the pursuit of it and a little bit more urgency mm -hmm. then yes we will drive it f faster and do you think that educating the world's maybe the people in in poverty stricken in situations like around the world that are suffering mostly at the hands of environmental issues, really, that we in the Western world kind of create. Do you think there would be, do you think our movement would be faster if we made sure we put a lot of resources into educating those people and bringing them up to our level of, you know, meeting them where they're at and making sure we're all on the same level of sustainability-minded education? I just think a unified understanding of what yes. sustainability is and what our individual role within the collective is, mm -hmm. without doubt. Yeah, if we all share the same vision for what a sustainable life is mm -hmm. and a sustainable existence is, mm -hmm. but that in itself, I mean, the very first question you asked me was definition of environmental mm -hmm. education. We could go into this definition of sustainability because it is such a complex network of different, in some way, conflictual um, um, tenets. I mean, if you've got 17, sustainable development goals for the United Nations. Some of those conflict. Yeah. So it, it's so big, and this is sometimes why I, I've seen education, oh, what's the point? Mm. Because, you know, I've got, to, I've got to teach my reading and writing, I've got to do my phonics, I've got to do this, but then to actually try and integrate all those. Let's just keep going, come on, let's, let's maintain our belief that we can do this change, that we can have this change. Uh, I would love to see uh, greater interaction you know, I, th I think that the, the primary school have a really good sense mm -hmm. of community and mm -hmm. interaction with the community. Let's do more. Mm -hmm. Getting the, pri the, the private schools more connected with the public schools. Absolutely, inherent. And we, we've got some lovely developments, partnerships. Uh, really? In, absolutely, uh, starting to develop. Uh, and that's been another joy of the last few years working at primary because there are some great colleagues across all schools on island. Let's sit in the room, let's agree 
direction ahead. What we mean by sustainability, more, more important, what do we want the children to be leaving at year six or at year 13 with? Yeah, because this is, I feel like our public schools and our private schools don't talk to each other enough. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure historically that that could be the case, but I, I'm seeing day-to-day uh, -day evidence of strands developing oh. and interactions. And we, we've been uh, so fortunate to invite a couple of uh, principals yeah. from a couple of the, the primary schools on Ireland to prep. And, and, and I want us to go out and say, let's share well, our, our wins and our losses. And well, we, exactly. we, have, we, have, we have hits and misses. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need to rewrite the, make, remake the wheel, right? Yeah. We just need to. But we have hits, you know, solar panels, come on. Every yeah. school with solar panels. Mm -hmm. that, that's not a bad starting point, is it? <laughs> just imagine if we could do that and children could see that generation. And then they're going, as and when they need to move a house or buy a house or build a house or whatever, yeah. I must have solar panels. It, it's, surely that's a, yeah. a start, not a bad starting point. That's a big starting point to even get there. Yeah. We need that national energy policy, yeah. policy to say, okay, yeah, let's make sure that's a thing. Sure. And, and again, that's, that's where thinking in silos, let's break down those barriers. Let's, let's talk laterally. Great. And so what can parents do to help nurture this? From the get-go, it's interesting. We've got a lot of conversation with our parents in kindergarten about some of the learning that we've gone through in the last few years. I think COVID's had profound impact on our children's, and two areas of our children's learning particularly. One is their articulation, their ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. Because if they've had restricted learning environments at one stage or another because of lockdown or whatever, Children need to collaborate. We are a very uh, gregarious species, mm -hmm. and if mm -hmm. we have that taken away, then it takes away our confidence in articulation. Mm. And, I th and I'd love to see more talking. Mm. I'd like to see a parent, rather than giving a child an iPad in the back of the car while they're driving home, <laughs> listening to the music or whatever, let's talk about the day. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the learning they've gone through. Now, there are some children, teenagers, who don't necessarily want to communicate. Right. How was your school today? Good. <laughs> okay, exactly. if you get good, then okay, it's positive. But <clears throat> let's break that down and develop that culture of articulation. Uh, so that, that's one thing that parents can always do, engage with your children. And I, I guess then the other thing is, just like the teachers that I'm talking with, uh, you know, how do we model it? Let's model behaviours. Has every household got a little recycling depot? We know mm -hmm. the challenges with glass of late, but mm -hmm. you can still re recycle ones and twos for plastic. Mm -hmm. You can still recycle cans. Mm -hmm. Let's do what we can and show our children that active practice day in, day out. So again, being the change you want to see. Absolutely. At yeah. home. Parents, yeah. mo model it just as much as everyone else. Which I guess is the role of a parent anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. For parenting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree with that fully. I mean, and, and, and get the children outside as well. You know, th this is uh, the most right. close. When we've got a landscape that we've You're got. You're right. So beautiful here. It can be restricted. You know, there's a high car culture here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think during the, the peak summer season, of course, it's difficult to get around. Mm -hmm. But I, I have the utmost respect for a few of our year fives and sixes who over the last few years I've seen cycling into school. Oh, my God. No, it's fantastic. And, and the, the sadness is that they didn't last because it's actually quite hairy out on the roads. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they gave it a go. Yeah. All due credit to them. Yeah. And, you know, some of them cycling with parents and parents really encouraging them to do that. But they learned that that's difficult and they went away thinking, you know, we need to do something about the traffic. It, there it, you go. Exactly. <laughs> it's exposing you. Once you're out in the world, you can see the issues with it so much more clearly yeah. than from your bedroom on yeah. your phone. Yes, indeed. that's just far too depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, too indeed. Active learning as well. So the ability to go out 
and you know when when plaster free came and are doing their fantastic beach cleans come on parents just one Sunday morning, one Saturday morning, whenever it is. Just do it. Just do it. Just come on. Or, just you, or you don't even know, need to do it through an organization. Take a plastic bag whenever Honestly, you're going to the any beach. Day. Any day. Yeah. I, any. I, yeah, you're right. That's exactly how we can do it at home yeah. as well. And that's what we encourage at Plastic Free yeah. even. Absolutely. You know? Um, so what are some of the resources? Just to end us off here, what are some of the resources that are available to students and parents outside of schools to learn more about this? You know, it's interesting because uh, on the island, I'm, I'm so aware of Plastic Free Cayman. Uh, one of the first people I met at primary, Claire Hughes, uh, mm -hmm. an absolute you know, titan in, in the world of, of supporting our development of how to be sustainable on island. And Plastic Free Cayman, uh, Protect Our Future, uh, the National Trust. Oh, the National, National Trust. Trust, I know. <laughs> They're brilliant. Um, so there are resources for children to get active, to show agency and to be involved and then to learn, National Trust learning opportunities are, are just extensive. Um, I, I, it's involvement with those, active mm -hmm. involvement. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to mm -hmm. because, uh, believe you me, my just as we're sort of thinking about sitting down here, I, I've just gone through a three decades worth of experience and I've just seen a lot of paperwork. <laughs> I've seen a lot of policy, a lot of practice. Some has hit, some has missed. We do a lot of talking around it. Let's actually change. The change needs to be the action. Mm -hmm. And so if the action is putting solar panels on the roof, big action. Mm -hmm. If the action is putting a recycle station that stops something, no matter how small, going into the landfill, that's action. Mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, and, and, and so on. If the action is to become a, an annual sponsor of the Blue Iguana program mm -hmm. uh, uh, or asking someone, an expert on the coral reefs, to come in to talk to a children, Mm -hmm. And for them to then go out on a glass bottom boat to see, mm -hmm. actually the, see yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Are you for doing that later on this term? Which I'm saddened because I can't go along. With oh my gosh, on the, I want to go. That's so cool. <laughs> but you know, again, let's let's just have a buzz of can do. Yeah, and will do. Yeah, optimistic as heck. <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Robin. And absolute pleasure. Educating yourself on basic environmental issues is the reason we started this podcast. Is to make people. <clears throat> to give them a base from which, a foundation from which they could jump off on their own learning. And which is why it's so wonderful to talk to you about things like this. And I'm really, really, really grateful. And thank you for, for, for being so passionate and being so optimistic all the time. There's only one way ahead. There is only <laughs> one way ahead. It's up. <laughs> it's up. So thank you again. And thanks for coming. And thank you again to DMS Broadcasting and Bobo 89.1. And to my pal Ryan Kirkaldi from Retrospect Media for capturing all this. You can check out our filmed episodes over on YouTube. And you can follow us on social media at Protecting Paradise KY. A massive shout out this week to this week's episode sponsor, my dear friend. And I think our show's number one fan, Maxwell Johnson. Thank you, my friend, for your support and your love of our beautiful, beautiful paradise and islands here. If you would like to be a sponsor, um, you can go check out our fundraiser over on Go Get Funds. Just search Protecting Paradise and any support would mean the world to us and would allow us to keep doing what we're doing here. And as always, remember that you cannot care unless you know. So thanks for joining us today. And we are always open to your feedback and your topic suggestions. So don't be shy. See you later. Toodles. Toodles.